So let's go to the word together. Should we do that? We're going to go deep, deep this morning. So just pinch yourself, put your seatbelt on. We're going into the word today. God's going to minister to us some profound truths relating to Christ and the cross and your salvation. So, Father, we pray this morning. Oh, we thank you once again for the unspeakable privilege of standing in your presence, being in your presence together. Thank you that you are with us, that you have promised that you will quicken our hearts, that you will teach us, that you will illuminate truths about yourself, about us, about our salvation. And we ask for that this morning, that you would open our eyes to behold wondrous things from your word. Quicken us, teach us, and bless this time together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We have uh, been looking at the Jewish feasts. Last week we studied the Feast of Trumpets. Do you remember? And this morning we are looking at the Day of Atonement. And in fact, this Jewish feast falls on this day, September 24th. This feast is being celebrated in Israel and by Jews around the world in some measure. Um, and let's, uh, let's, con- let's just refresh ourselves on the Jewish feast. We have taught that there are seven feasts of the Lord. There are the spring feasts and the autumn feasts. There are four spring feasts, the Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. That's celebrated in Nisan, which is at the Easter time for us. And then in May, the Jewish month, Sivan, is the Feast of Pentecost. The three autumn feasts are trumpets, Day of Atonement, and tabernacles. And they are celebrated in the Jewish month, Tishrei, which is September on our calendar. Are you with me so far? The first of the autumn feasts, my daughter's rolling her eyes. The, the first of the, the autumn feasts is the Feast of Trumpets. We studied that together last week. Rosh Hashanah, or the biblical name Yom, Day of, of, uh, of um, Yom Teruah, the day of blowing the shofar. Ten days after that feast, you'll notice on the calendar there, Tishrei, the one, and then Tishrei 10. So 10 days later is the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur. You'll see that there are 10 days between them. Does everyone see that? If we focus a little bit closer on the autumn feast, you can see more clearly there between Tishrei the first and the tenth, there are those 10 all-important days between these two feasts. These days are called the Days of Awe, The reason for that is because during these days between the feasts was a time of self-searching the heart, of confession, of repentance, of humility, that the Jewish people would be before God each day, uh, aware of their sinfulness and looking to his mercy and waiting in anticipation where, so to speak, they will meet the Lord as a nation through the high priest and that ceremony on that all-important day. 
I'll just make a note on the prophetical fulfillments, although that's not our focus this morning. We have taught that the Feast of Trumpets will be fulfilled on that great day when the trumpet will sound, and there will be the resurrection and the translation of the saints at the rapture. Uh, the Day of Atonement, which we're studying today, will be fulfilled at the, uh, the remnant of Israel that will be saved at the end of the seven-year period, ushering in the second coming of the Lord. And then lastly, the tabernacles, which we'll look at next week, will be fulfilled at the kingdom on earth. So if you look at that timeline, um, the days of awe represent a, a period uh, uh, where we will have the end of the great tribulation, the wrath of the Lamb. Sometimes it's called the day of the Lord. This is a time of great heart-searching and affliction and breaking of the will and God's people during that time. So the resurrection and the rapture will happen before the wrath of the Lamb. It will be followed at some point by Israel's salvation or, or uh, restoration as a nation, and it will be followed by the kingdom. So the Day of Atonement is our focus this morning. What happened on that day? And how does this speak to us about our salvation, about your salvation through Jesus? How does that Old Testament feast typify what Jesus did for us? This Day of Atonement is the most solemn and sacred holy day of all on the Jewish calendar. If you would point to one day that would be the high holy day, the most solemn of feasts, it was this one. During this day, the high priest would perform a special service. <clears throat> he would be adorned with his high priestly garments, and he would have to very carefully follow through the service. In the tabernacle in the wilderness, which was a, a tent-like temple structure, a, a, a portable, mobile temple that they would go through the wilderness, um, uh, this was a means for God to dwell with men and for men to draw near to God. Why? Because God is holy and righteous and pure and, and cannot behold sin. And man is sinful and fallen. So there is a means that a sinful man can draw near to holy God. Uh, this was through the tabernacle in the wilderness. And then Solomon's temple, when it was built in Jerusalem, was made after the same format. If we would look at a bird's eye view of that, you would see that, again, it pictures man's approach to God. You come through the entrance... You can go no further unless there is a sacrifice that man comes to God by means of sacrifice. No one is able to go into the actual tabernacle structure, into the holy place, only the priests. And then that, that one room at the end of the tabernacle called the holiest or the holy of holiest, holies, only one man could go into that, that room. And only on one day in the whole year and that was on the Day of Atonement. Only one man into that one room, one day in the year. If we could peel back the curtain on the tabernacle, we would see that that back room is filled with gold. The wall panels are overlaid with gold. The ark is overlaid with gold. And the mercy seat uh, is, a, is, is hammered out of pure gold. And only on that one day would the high priest enter in. 
we're told in Hebrews, and Hebrews is an amazing uh, New Testament commentary or unveiling, if you like, of all of the Old Testament imagery through the feasts and the sacrifices. And in Hebrews 9, we read, tells us, into the second part, that's the Holy of Holies, the high priest went alone once a year and not without blood which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. So there you see it, a yearly sacrifice, and it was to cleanse a year's sins of the people of Israel. The sins, uh, the sins would be covered on that day of atonement. The next verse in Hebrews says, By this the Holy Spirit was indicating that the way into the Holy of Holies was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was standing. Now, let's focus and pay attention here this morning. Don't, want, don't let your mind wander. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to quicken us and teach us. That verse is saying that, that the Old Testament system was a model. It was a shadow, just like you would take a model of something to demonstrate the reality. So the tabernacle and the temple were a model to teach a superior, greater, eternal reality. Do we understand that? So this verse says, the fact that only the high priest could go in and that there was a veil separating men from God in that imagery, the Holy Spirit was indicating that the way into the true Holy of Holies, namely the very presence of God, was not yet made manifest while that tabernacle was standing. But on the Day of Atonement, he would enter in. In the Old Testament, there was an understanding that the sins were, were covered, that they were looking ahead to something greater. All of the daily sacrifices through the year for the Jew were really ultimately covered by this Day of Atonement. This is why this was the greatest solemn feast. But even that feast, the Day of Atonement, had to be repeated every year because in a way it was incomplete. The sins were only covered. They were not taken away. If you like, it was an unfinished work that was pointing to the finished work that Jesus Christ would accomplish on the cross. The word atonement means the act of paying a price to release from debt or guilt. That somehow someone could attain forgiveness for sin. But how? Can you pay for your forgiveness? Can man make, do something to atone for his sins? No, of course not. Even our own justice system shows us that the good things we do don't take away the bad. Justice cries out to be satisfied for the crime or for the sin. It doesn't matter what, if you are a good person over here. doesn't change the fact that you have sinned and there must be atonement for your sin and your good works do not atone for your sin. There must be something greater. The New Testament, the Gospel tells us that only one thing is enough for the ultimate atonement of our sin. It is that Christ died in our place. Wow, I got chills when I said that. The wages of sin is death, and Christ died. That Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness, and his blood was shed. Amazing. So when we ask about what work do we need to do then, 
This question was asked to Jesus in John 6, 28. They said, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you, what? Believe in him who was sent. This is the work of God, that you believe, because the work for the atoning work for our salvation has been done. This work was done on that day by the high priest, right? In that sense, he was mediating between God and the people. And the Bible teaches that our great eternal high priest is Jesus. Tells us in Hebrews 2.17, in all things, Jesus had to be made like his brethren. In other words, God the Son became a man that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make a propitiation for the sins of the people. And the word propitiation means that justice is satisfied, that justice is crying out to be satisfied, and then it is, it is appeased, and the hammer goes down, not guilty, you're free to go. That legal sense of justification. He has made propitiation for the sins of the people. Again, in Hebrews 4.14, we have a great high priest who has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. But if we didn't have the Old Testament, which is so sadly neglected, in teaching, etc. If we didn't have the Old Testament, we would read about Jesus being the high priest and it wouldn't mean anything to us. So we have these incredible pictures laid out for us to give us understanding and a deeper meaning of what it means that it says that we have a great high priest. Now, in Leviticus 16, which is the chapter on the Day of Atonement, there are over 80 verbs, actions, that the high priest must do on behalf of the people. Over 80, he was given instructions on what he must do and how he must perform. He must put on, he must wear, he must take, he must offer, he must sacrifice, etc. All the way through that passage, the high priest is instructed in the work. But what was the work for the Jew? There's only one verse at the end of Leviticus which answers that question. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls. And then, to make it crystal clear, he says, and do no work at all. This was the work of the Jew. It was, a heart, it was heart work. It was to repent and confess and acknowledge his sin and look to God. He was to do no work at all, but only the work in the heart. All of the work that was carried out was done by the high priest. The high priest does all the work for us. In the next verse, it says, For on that day the high priest shall make atonement for you, to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. Now, let's see. Oh, I could just pause and, and marinate in so many of these verses and truths that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. Wow, that's astounding. And that's what it says. Amazing. This is the root of the gospel right here in Leviticus 16, that it is not by works, that you shall do no work. You shall only afflict your soul, so to speak, or, or repent and confess and come and believe. 
God built into the sacrificial system in the Old Testament this picture of an ultimate sacrifice that would would cleanse and, and deal with the sins of the people. We have no role in the atonement in terms of works. It is done for us. That's amazing principle. So let's have a look from the beginning at Leviticus 16 in verse 2. The Lord says, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to just come at any time into the holy place before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, unless he should die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. So here's the first point. Moses, tell Aaron and all the subsequent high priests, you don't just come into the holy place anytime, anyhow, anywhere. There's a very specific uh, observance that must be uh, uh, you know, that must be kept to. The first is only on this day, the day of atonement, will the high priest go in. And also only through sacrifice. In the next verse, I'll read it to you. And this is the way Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and of a ram as a burnt offering. Also, the high priest would have to remove his high priestly garments for this portion of the ceremony. It says he shall put on the holy linen tunic and linen trousers on his body. He will be girded with a sash and a turban, etc. These are holy garments. Therefore, he shall wash his body in water and put them on. This is, this is typical. It is a picture that Jesus, that God the Son who laid aside his garments, so to speak, and came and took upon himself human flesh to serve, that he laid aside the ornaments of glory, that he would become a servant and walk among us and be obedient all the way to death, even the death of the cross. And we read of that in Philippians chapter 2. It says, Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even the death of the cross." So the first thing, the high priest could only come on that day. He could only come by sacrifice, and he would have to put on the linen garments. And also, in the next verse, in verse 5, it says, And he shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats as a sin offering and a ram for the burnt offering. The bull that he chose was a sin offering for himself, for he was also a sinner. The goats here were chosen as a sin offering for the people. In this picture, of course, Jesus is both the high priest and also the sacrifice. It's all speaking about him. It says, and he will take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle. And Aaron will cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. You ever heard that phrase, scapegoat? This is where it comes from, Leviticus 16. It means one, someone is blamed for the wrongdoing of another. And Jesus in this picture is our scapegoat. One is sacrificed and the other is the scapegoat. So first he had to offer the bull for his own sins. Listen to this verse. And Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself... 
And notice the word himself is three times here. And make atonement for himself and for his house and shall kill the bull as the sin offering which is for himself. For he was a sinner. And he shall take some of the blood as pictured here of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side. And before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. The only thing ever to touch that solid gold mercy seat was the blood. Without the blood, it would be called a judgment seat. Without the blood, that whole house and the temple would be a house of judgment where the sinner would not stand, not be able to draw near to him. But because of the blood, it is a house of mercy. Hallelujah. Again, in the book of Hebrews, we read in Hebrews 7.26, For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and become higher than the heavens. Unlike the other priests, he does not need to offer daily sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Right? So the Old Testament priesthood, the Aaronic priesthood, were sinful men who had to offer a sacrifice for themselves first and then for the people. But Jesus uh, didn't need a sacrifice. In fact, he was the sacrifice, but for the people, for he was without sin. After the sin offering for himself, the high priest would then offer for the people, and this was the goat. It says, he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people. Bring its blood inside the veil and do the same as he did with the blood of the bull. Sprinkle it on the mercy seat. This gives us a profound understanding of who Jesus was and what he accomplished in the New Testament. Romans 3.25 says, Jesus was set forth as a propitiation through his blood, through faith. 1 John 2.2, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the whole world. The NIV says not propitiation, but he was the atoning sacrifice. And Ephesians 2.13 says we've been brought nigh by the blood of Christ. Again in Hebrews 9 But Christ came as the high priest of good things to come with a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. And he entered once and for all into the holy place, but not the tabernacle or the temple on earth, but he entered into the holy place in in heaven, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Wow, incredible. He has secured an eternal redemption. That's what it says, amazing. Back to Leviticus 16, the Old Testament high priest. He shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions and for all their sins. And these phrases catch our attention. For all of their sins. Uh, What have you done? How have you failed? How have you missed the target? Do you have guilt? Do you live in condemnation? Well, let's come face to face with the glorious gospel that all of their sins are paid for. 
and that you, you can be cleansed uh, ex- you know, daily, experientially through because of the blood of Christ and you are eternally hidden in him. Now, after applying the blood on the mercy seat, now for the last phase, and this is the phase of the scapegoat in verse 20. Uh, I'm sorry, in verse 17, first it says, there shall be no man in the tabernacle, only the high priest. All the other priests left. This was only a work for the high priest. And now in verse 21, it tells us, and Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel. I don't know how long that took. I don't know how specific he could be, but as best as they could, as God would search their heart, the high priest would be confessing the sins of the people and and maybe specific situations and their tendency for idolatry or passivity or familiarity or whatever it was. He would confess the sins with both hands on the head of the goat. And the laying on of hands, it was understood that through that act, there was symbolically the, the understanding that the sins of the people were transferred to the animal, that the hands were laid on with a confession of sin, that there was a substitution taking place. Now, this is in the same way that our sins were imputed to Christ on the cross when he was on the cross, and he said to the Father, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he said that because in that dark hour was when all of the sins of the human race, past, present, and future, were born upon his body, and he was judged as the substitutionary sacrifice for us. And in that moment, the Father turned away from the Son, and the Son said, oh, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the answer to that question is the gospel. He was forsaken on the cross that we would never be forsaken. He bore our sins that we would never pay the penalty for our sins, but instead we are forgiven. Incredible. Isaiah 53, 6 says, Our iniquity was laid upon him. He was the sin bearer. He was our scapegoat. 1 Peter 2, 24, He bore our sins on his body on the tree. And 2 Corinthians 5.21, listen to this. He who knew no sin became sin, or a better translation would be he became a sin offering, that we, who, that we might be made the righteousness of God. And I wrote this this morning. The righteous one was judged for sin, that the sinful one would be made righteous. This was the great exchange. This was the great imputation that his righteousness was imputed to us because our sins were imputed to him. And then with the scapegoat, they would send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. So one goat sacrificed, the blood put on the altar, the sins confessed on the second goat, the scapegoat, and then it would be led into the wilderness, into an inhabited place, verse 22. The goat shall bear on itself all of their iniquities. And we, we have that picture in our mind as we say that. And he would go to an uninhabited land. Oh, do you see it? Do you see it that Christ bore your sins? that he took them to an uninhabited place. These are profound language, for he has finished the work so beautifully for us. And he will release the goat in the wilderness. 
The goat is gone in the wilderness. Listen, don't go looking for that goat. Don't go looking for that goat. It's gone. Don't go digging up your sins. Don't be an accuser. Don't live under condemnation. Live in the freedom that comes through the gospel because Jesus has borne your sins and he has taken away the sins of the world. He was the Lamb of God that was slain to take away the sins of the world once and for all. This is what it says in Psalm 103.12, that as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions for us. Now, these two goats both picture two aspects of the work of Christ. The term often is used, propitiation and expiation. It simply means propitiation that the justice of God was satisfied and expiation that the sin is removed. That's seen in the second goat. It emphasizes the finality, the beauty of Christ's work when he was on the cross and he said, it is finished as the sin bearer. He, he had finished the work of atonement and paying the price for our salvation. And then we get to that last verse relating to us. On the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls. This is speaking of humiliation of, of, in the heart, the humbling of the soul, sorrow, confession, being contrite, repenting, whatever term we might use. Joel 2.13 says, do not rend the garments only, but rend the heart. This is the exercise that was the people were called on to do. The goat was sacrificed for the whole nation, but it was applied when there was this heart response for those who would believe. In verse 30, again, we read that verse, for on that day the high priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you all your sins before the Lord. What have we done? But we have believed. We have agreed in our heart. We have turned in repentance. We have confessed our sins. We have acknowledged the fact that we could never atone for our sins, that our good works would never be enough that we are, have become reliant only on the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. He is our substitute and the final sacrifice. Our iniquity was laid upon him. Now, we'll finish today again by closing with a few verses from Hebrews. And now these verses make sense to us as we read them. Hebrews 10 verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, that makes sense, doesn't it? It's amazing when you study the Old Testament and you think of the feasts and the sacrifices, even the priests themselves and the high priest and the blood and the, everything is a shadow that beautifully speaks to the reality. So the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very reality of those things, can never with these same sacrifice, when they are offered continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. What's that saying? In other words, the shadow wasn't enough. Only what it actually prefigured or pointed to was enough. The, the, 
the uh, efficacy of the Old Testament sacrifices was only found in that they pointed to the ultimate eternal sacrifice of the Lamb of God to come. Verse 2, For then would they not have ceased to be offered? If that was enough, why did they have to keep offering and keep offering? Why did the guilt return? Why did the high priest have to go year after year? Why did they have to offer sacrifices every day, again and again? Because it never was a finished work. For the worshippers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. And let's read together verse 4. For it is not possible that the blood of goats and bulls can take away sins. Jump down to verse 11. Every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Right? There's an inadequacy in the unfinished work, in the shadow of what was past, pointing to the beauty of the finished work, the ultimate sacrifice that would take away sins. And that's why the next verse says, But this man, this high priest, our Savior Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever sat down at the right hand of God. And notice in verse 11, it says that these priests standing, ministering daily, there was no seats or chairs in the tabernacle or the temple, they were standing. But this man, after he had offered the sacrifice, sat down. Why did he sit down? It's a finished work. It is finished. And he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And then we'll jump down to verse, uh, jump down to 19, and here's our question. If Jesus offered one sacrifice for sins forever, namely himself, and sat down at the right hand of God, what does that mean for me and you today? Well done for, for staying with me so far. For here is the conclusion, the beautiful conclusion in Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. Now what that verse is saying is that there was a veil that separated the sinner from God. It was pictured by that curtain in the Old Testament. And here it says, he has made a new and living way for us through the veil which is his flesh. When he hung on the, on the cross, where his, our sins were born upon his body, it's through him that we come to the Father. Verse 21, And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Amen. It is finished. We have an eternal redemption that has been secured for us. We can be afforded a blessed assurance because of the work of Christ. And let us draw near again and again with open access. Uh, It's amazing. Not one place, one room, one man, one day a year. 
but any moment, any place, full access into the presence of God, any Christian through the blood of Christ. What a privilege that is. Let's draw near all the more as we see the day approaching. Amen? So, Father, we thank you. Oh, we thank you for these astounding truths, these profound truths of the gospel, of what you accomplished for us on the cross that you paid the price for salvation. You paid a price that, all oh, we could never pay. We could never atone for our sins. But you died for us. You shed your blood for us. Always oh, all the hymns remind us of all this, the Christian worship songs remind us of all the verses in the New Testament remind us, oh, what a wonderful Savior you are. What, what great salvation has been afforded to us. And Father, we thank you that we are in Christ this morning, that we are saved by grace through faith. Perhaps there is someone here this morning or listening online on this day of atonement, on this day where the gospel is heralded. Perhaps you are not sure of your salvation or in this moment make this your prayer that you pray to God and you say, oh God, I, I am a sinner and I cannot pay for my sins, but I believe Jesus bore my sins on the cross and through him I can be saved. Through him I have eternal life. Through him I can come to you, God the Father. Give me that gift of salvation today as I believe on you. And lead me in the way. And we pray for blessings on the hearts and minds and lives of all those gathered here this morning and listening this morning. We thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen.